Today we're in Nehemiah chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there. This message uh, is going to be titled, Oh No You Don't. And uh, we're going to be talking about how the enemy tries to trip us up. And one of his tactics is temptation. And so we're going to be spending a little bit of time talking about that today as we walk through this particular chapter. Um, just a couple of notes. I've had some questions along the way uh, regarding Nehemiah and the wall. First off, this series, I do see this series probably going through the month of July. I know some people have asked, how long do you think we'll go? And um, will we go through the whole thing? The answer to that is we will go through July. And uh, the other thing is, I've had some folks ask me the dimensions of the wall. Like, how long was this wall? And um, so what's interesting to know, I'm going to give you the dimensions of this, but this wall was two and a half miles long, okay? So two and a half miles long, and it wasn't just some simple wall like a fence or something. This thing was eight feet thick, full of bricks, right, and rocks, and it was 40 foot high, okay? So picture that, eight feet thick, 40 feet high, two and a half miles long, and in this chapter, they complete the wall, and they've done it in 52 days. So quite a feat, quite an accomplishment, and that gives you a picture of how big of a project this actually was. This wasn't some fence that they were trying to build to keep their cattle in. This was something huge that would fortify the city. So before we begin reading Nehemiah 6, I want to pray with you, and we'll just ask the Lord to come and meet with us right now as we hear from him. Father, we thank you so much for your word, how you speak to us. And Lord, as we dig into Nehemiah 6 today, I ask for your help, your blessing, your anointing, and your favor upon this time. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Guide us. Help us to listen and hear what it is that your spirit wants to say. Lord, use me to speak your heart. And we thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Nehemiah 6, starting in verse 1. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Now, four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same reply. And the fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand. And this is what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. And he also reports that you've appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there's a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king, so I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. And I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. 
You are making up the whole thing. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Later, I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, and grandson of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. And he said, Let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, Should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. And I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. Remember, O my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sanballat have done. And remember Noadiah the prophet and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. So on October the 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. During those 52 days, many letters went back and forth between Tobiah and the nobles of Judah. For many in Judah had sworn allegiance to him because his father-in-law was Shechaniah, son of Ara, and his son Jehonanan was married to the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. They kept telling me about Tobiah's good deeds, and then they told him everything I said. And Tobiah kept sending threatening letters to intimidate me. So here in Nehemiah 6, you see the completion of the wall. But what I find interesting in the book of Nehemiah, in chapter 2, you see opposition coming against Nehemiah and the work that God had sent him to do. In Nehemiah chapter 4, again, you see opposition from the enemy from the work that he was trying to do for the kingdom of God. And here again now in Nehemiah 6, the enemy comes back. And I think in this particular chapter, I want to just recognize how tempting it is to step off the wall, so to speak, and the things that God wants us to be doing, and we can get caught up in the tactics of the enemy. And I want to break this down for us today in recognizing some things I see here from the opposition. And the first thing here is in verse 2. You see the enemy seeking Nehemiah's attention. There he is up on the wall, and they send a messenger, and this message, asking to meet with him. The devil wants our attention. He wants to distract us from the kingdom work that God has created us to do. You can see some correlation here, the connection between Nehemiah's enemy and our enemy. Satan wants your attention, and he'll find all kinds of ways to try to get it. He's also very persistent, and you see that here with Nehemiah's enemy. Four times they sent this message. Four times. 
The enemy tries to get you to slip up. You stand firm. The enemy will come right back, try to do it again. But four times the enemy tried to get Nehemiah to stop. And the Bible says he gave the same reply each time. He answered back. Another thing the enemy wants to do is attack you publicly. The fifth time the attack came in a public open letter. An open letter would be one that was unsealed, and it was a sign of disrespect and open criticism, and suggested that the information inside this letter was public knowledge. The enemy wants to grab your attention and wants to cause you to trip up right in front of everybody, discrediting you. Not just hold something in secret, but open it up for everybody to see. This is the work of the enemy. He also falsely accuses. In this particular chapter, we see in verse 6, the accuser says, There's a rumor. There's a rumor. According to these reports, Nehemiah, you plan to be the king, and you're going to set up prophets that say you are the king, and we need to understand something. Nehemiah had the blessing from King Artaxerxes to go back to Jerusalem to build this wall. So Nehemiah is staying focused. They're building the wall. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And meanwhile, the enemy is trying to make accusations that once this wall's complete and Jerusalem has this fortified city, you want to become the king, and then you'll break away from King Artaxerxes. We see what you're doing, Nehemiah. They falsely accuse him. They're trying to, to catch him in something. This is what the enemy wants to do. And we know Nehemiah was not out to do that. But this is what the enemy does. He tries to falsely accuse. The enemy also wants to set up stumbling blocks in your life. These are people that you might be well acquainted with, that you might be familiar with, that you might think you can trust. But they somehow can figure out a way to trip you up and get you to sin. This guy was Shemaiah in verse 10. He says, let us come, let's meet together in the temple. What's wrong with meeting in the temple? That shouldn't be a, a, a bad thing, right? This guy wants to go into the temple of God. Let's shut the doors so that you can be protected and so that your enemy can't kill you. And then Nehemiah says that he didn't go forward with that he said the enemy was trying to intimidate me and try to get me to sin. How is it sin to go into the temple for protection? What's interesting is Exodus 21, the Bible talks about in the temple area, there's an altar of asylum that you can go to for protection from people who are trying to take your life. But to actually go into the temple itself without being a priest... Numbers 18 clearly calls that sin. And Shemaiah was the son of a priest who was an intimate friend with Nehemiah. So there's a connection Nehemiah has with this guy. And this guy knows that Nehemiah is not a priest, yet he tries to get him to come in to the temple, which was sin. And when I read that, I'm thinking, who are people that might be close in our life that we feel we can trust Maybe they have the appearance of being godly, just like this son of a priest, this 
This guy named Shemaiah. And he's trying to get Nehemiah to cower and seek things out, seek shelter in the temple, which would have been sin. Shemaiah actually proposes a course of action that is contrary to God's word. This would make him a false prophet and actually a stumbling block now. I I hope we can say in our life, in our faith journey, we don't ever cause anyone around us to stumble. Maybe you can think how this can happen in the church. Maybe we're hanging out in fellowship with each other and one thing gets said and then another thing gets said and before you know it, there's a variety of things that can come out of a believer's mouth that you're thinking, where is that coming from? Whether it be language or coarse speaking and jokes and things like that. Maybe it's an environment where alcohol is brought into the picture. And because it seems okay because my brother or sister in Christ is partaking, then I begin to partake, but I don't know how to do it without sinning and getting drunk. Maybe it's gossip. You know, you open up the door and you start talking about somebody in the church. That gives me permission to jump right in with you and begin to speak about them as well. You can see how even the close people that you think you can trust can be stumbling blocks. The enemy uses moments like this. So we have all this stuff coming at us, and I think there's things that Nehemiah does that give us a response and how we can handle temptation, how we can handle things that come our way. And the response starts with focus. Nehemiah had incredible focus. And Nehemiah 6 verse 3 is my favorite verse in the entire book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's reply to the invitation to come speak with the enemy, Nehemiah says, I'm engaged in a great work. I can't come down. I know you want to talk with me, but I've got stuff to do. I can't stop. I can't meet with you. I love this. There's a focus here from Nehemiah. And I think we can apply this into our own life. One of the reasons people struggle with sin is because they're not focused on the kingdom of God. Plain and simple. You'd rather engage in sin than engage in the kingdom. There's no sugarcoating that. That is reality. If you struggle with sin, it's because there's things that you feel that you don't want to be involved in in the kingdom. And I know that sounds heavy or harsh, but it's a reality. Do you love your sin more than you love the kingdom of God? So another thing that we can respond with is integrity. See, this accusation of Nehemiah becoming a king in Jerusalem... Nehemiah had a very clear answer. There's no truth to this. So I'm telling you right now, one of the best things you can do when false accusations come your way is to be somebody of integrity. Be somebody who lives a pure life, and you don't have to worry about false accusations. They can say whatever they want. I know that I'm right with God. I haven't sinned. I haven't stepped out in this way. Keep your heart pure And you don't have to worry about these false 
accusations. And here's what the enemy tries to do with the false accusations. If I can sling these your way and you get fired up, if you've ever been falsely accused of something, you know there's something inside of you that, that starts to get upset. I mean, you don't walk away from a false accusation without getting a little bit riled up, you know, like, that's not true. And so what the enemy tries to do with the false accusation then is to get you to sin and get you angry. Then you take it out in your flesh without reacting in a godly way. The enemy can trip you up with false accusations. In verse 9, Nehemiah also shows us his grit. He says they were trying to intimidate us imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. He was greatly determined. The enemy's trying to trip him up, so what does he do? I'm going to dig my heels even deeper, and I'm just going to continue the kingdom work. And by doing so, we see his grit. And I also think our response here is a response of courage. Shemaiah wanted Nehemiah to come into the temple so that his life could be spared. Come, come. he's trying to trip him up, get him to sin, but part of that was you've got to be a little bit scared. The enemy wants to kill you. And so come into the temple where there's this safety, where there's this refuge. And Nehemiah in verse 11, he goes, should someone in my position run from danger? Think about the position that God gives you in the kingdom of God. Should we run in fear? Or should we have the kind of courage that Nehemiah has and the kind that he shows? And lastly, this isn't really Nehemiah here, but this is God's response to us, and it's God's grace that's extended to Nehemiah in the midst of all of this. Nehemiah and God's people... In verse 16, when the walls complete, it says, When our enemies in the surrounding nations heard about the completion of this wall, they were frightened and humiliated, and they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. I am so thankful for God's grace. I'm telling you right now, if you think you can beat sin on your own, you're a fool. You need God's help. That is the only way you can have victory when it comes to sin. You need God's help. And so call on Him. Ask Him for that grace to be able to conquer sin and to conquer temptation. If you think you can do it on your own, you're going to be right back where you started. God's grace is so abundant, He pours it out and we don't deserve this. In Romans 6, Paul talks about how if God is so gracious, should we just keep on sinning so it looks like God's even more gracious? He just keeps pouring this out to us. And he says, by no means. God's grace is not a license for us to sin. Sometimes people go to sin because they're thinking, as soon as I get done, I'll just ask the Lord for forgiveness. And then they go right back out and do it. I'll just ask the Lord for forgiveness. The enemy has you trapped with that thinking. You should not take advantage of God's grace. Romans 6 says that we've died to sin. 
When you came to Christ, you died of sin. That doesn't mean that we're never going to sin ever again, but it means that you shouldn't have this lingering desire for it. Should be dead. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to it. Because anyone who's died has been set free from sin. When you come to Christ, you die to yourself, you die to your sin, and you say, I'm going to live for Jesus. And when you come to that place in your life, sin's power is broken. And His grace begins to work in your life. Sin has a way of being sneaky. And what I mean by that is I don't think you just wake up one day and think, you know what, today I think I'm, I'm going to commit adultery. I mean, I don't think you just wake up with that. I think it starts with something real subtle, and it works its way into your life, little by little. And before you know it, you get all the way to this point, and you go, what have I done? And that can be anything. It can cause somebody to begin to lie and to live this life of deception. And it all started back here with something that the enemy convinced you to partake in. I want you to watch this video in regards to that very point. Some might say I'm only interested in the big things, but that's not the case at all. I love the little white lie. I encourage the second glance at that girl. I hope you take that extra drink. One little compromise. Sometimes, that's all I need. The younger you are, the quicker I pounce. And the older you get, the more tricks I've got. The more naive you stay, the easier I ensnare. And the wiser you are, the more sly I become. I sound good, I smell good, and I look good. Just when you think you've had enough of me, I draw you back in. Think you can break free from me? Don't be so sure. I celebrate diversity. Man, woman, black, white, Young, old, rich, poor, I don't care. I seek all equally. I devour all wholly. It doesn't matter who you are. I am going to kill you. I am sin. I am sin. I am sin. starts with something small and when the enemy can get you one by one it just begins to progress this morning when I got out of my truck I had a cup of coffee and in my cup holder was this receipt when I filled up with gas yesterday and this stuck to the bottom of my cup so I didn't even know it I just got out of my car and I see this thing blow off into the wind it's kind of breezy today and so there it is in the parking lot, and I begin to walk over to it to pick it up. 
Maybe you've had moments like this. You know what I'm going. You go down to pick it up, and guess what happens? Off it goes. I'm like, oh. So I walk a little further, go down to pick it up. Off it goes. I mean, it's like it's just resting there, mocking me. Like, come pick me up. And then when I go to pick it up, off it goes. I did this like five or six times. And it got to the point where I'm like, are you serious? You know, like you just start going, are are you kidding me? And it finally lands in the landscaping, and I'm able to pick it up. And I pick it up, and it's like the Lord told me, that is what sin is like. It lures you in, and just about when you think you've got this appetite quenched, you go to reach for it, it's like you're reaching for the wind. Off it goes. And it leads you a little bit further, and a little bit further, and a little bit further until you realize you're at a point that you didn't intend to be at originally. Sin is so deceptive, and temptation lures us in, and when we try to reach for it to fulfill our life, you will wind up empty-handed every time. Every time. A proclivity for sin will ruin your life. And let me tell you what that word proclivity means. It's a tendency to do something regularly. If you're living a lifestyle where sin is just a part of the everyday life, there's no check and balance here. It's just a regular thing for you. If you continue down that path, I'm telling you right now, your life will be ruined. It's just a matter of time. The Bible says that sin has its joy for a season. But the enemy isn't playing around when he goes to devour you. So I want to help us fight temptation with God's Word. You know, when Jesus was baptized, he then went out into the wilderness and he fasted. And guess who showed up? Satan. And Satan begins to tempt Jesus, and he tries three times to get Jesus to break. And each time when Jesus responded to Satan, he says, it is written, and then he quotes Scripture. And so one of the ways that God gives us for defense against temptation and falling into traps is he gives us his word, and we fight it with his word. Let me give you some Scriptures when it comes to temptation. 1 Corinthians 10:13 the Bible says, "The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful and he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure." Perhaps you've heard people misquote the Bible when they say, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's not true. God God will give you more than you can handle. Believe me. But He will never leave you and He'll never forsake you. And God will never give you more than He can handle. They take a verse like this and they twist it. The Bible says God will never give you more temptation. He won't allow more than what you can handle. In fact, he's faithful. He'll give you a way out. And part of the way out is fighting it with his word, which sits on a shelf, sits next to our bed. It's on our phone. God gives us the weapons of warfare, and one of which is the word of God. Another one is prayer. 
Jesus said, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray so that you'll not give in. James 4, verses 7 and 8. Humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. The word is so important. Prayer is so important when it comes to battling in the midst of temptation. Charles Stanley says, What the devil cannot accomplish by scorn and intimidation, he will try to accomplish by deception and hateful schemes. Only by immersing ourselves in the Word of God and through prayer will we avoid his traps. And little by little, if we get off just a little bit, over time it will lead to disaster. In 1983, the Korean Airlines had a flight from New York City to Seoul, South Korea, and they stopped in Anchorage, Alaska, mid-flight, to fuel up and things like that. And they took off, but their heading was just 7% off, just 7% from where they needed to go from Anchorage to Seoul, South Korea. Well, that difference of 7% caused that plane to leave the North American Air Defense Zone and enter into the Soviet Air Defense Zone. And that airline was shot down by a Soviet jet. Just a little bit. You move in that direction just a little bit. You go on down the line and you'll be so far from where God wants you to be, and it'll lead to your destruction. A lot of people know King David. He was a great king, a warrior of a king, won many battles and conquered a lot of territories and enemies. But a lot of people know what David's sin issue was. What was his issue? What happened in his life? Adultery. But here's the thing, it didn't just start with adultery. See, David was in his palace, and he's on the rooftop, and he overlooks, and he sees Bathsheba, and she's bathing, and he's lured in, and then calls her into his palace. And that temptation, he gives in. That would seem like the big issue. That's the starting point, but that's not the starting point. We know that when he steps out, and he commits this act... She becomes pregnant, and he tries to cover it up, so he sends her husband out into the battle front line so that he would be killed. Then we can cover this whole thing up. You just see how it snowballs, right? Well, it snowballs all the way back to one simple thing. David was supposed to be out in battle. And so that act of adultery would not have happened if David would have been where he was supposed to be. You want a great way to fight temptation? Is ask God to put you in places where you're supposed to be. And Lord, help me to get out of anything where I might find myself showing up where I'm not supposed to be there. 
Nehemiah was where he was supposed to be. The enemy tried to call him off the wall, but he said, I am too involved in a great work. The kingdom work will keep you from the the things the enemy wants to do to pick you off. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 4, the Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. Ask him to give you his vision. And you are well on your way to walking in victory when it comes to temptation and sin. The problem is, is we live in a world that's completely saturated with all kinds of of things that are not holy. Ask God to keep your eyes fixed on Him and His kingdom and you're well on your way to living in victory. This message is titled, Oh No You Don't. And I think part of the reason why I felt led to do that is because there's a certain point in your life where you've got to put a stake in the ground and say, I'm not going to do that. You've you've got to do that in your life. If you don't do that, the enemy will just kind of fish a little bit and get you. But you've got to put a stake in the ground and say, when, when the devil tries to get me to trip and fall, and he comes to my doorstep, I've already put a stake there that says, that ain't happening here. What's interesting is, Nehemiah's enemies sent the message to get him off the wall, and they wanted to meet him at the plain of Ono. And that's kind of why I titled that, because when Satan comes to the plain of your life, if you don't put that stake in the ground and say, oh no, you don't, not here, Satan will pick you off. Put the stake in the ground and pray for God's grace and get in the word of God and fight with God's word. When the enemy comes to your plane, know in your heart where you stand with that sin issue. And ask God to be your vision to help you see clearly the things that he would want you to see. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, I thank you I thank you for this testimony from Nehemiah and the great focus that you gave him to accomplish your work. That when the enemy came time after time, and we see it again here in this chapter, you helped him stand firm. You helped him stay focused. You helped him stay determined 
and they completed a great task. Father, help us to have that focus. Be our vision. Be our guide. Help us not to move to the left or to the right, but to stay focused on you and your kingdom. Protect us from the attacks of the enemy and his temptation to lure us into sin. Father, I pray that your spirit would come and help people to be set free from sin and to live life of great victory. Equip them, God. But we all must determine in our own will. Do we want to live in victory? Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help those individuals that truly desire that. Flood their life. And do mighty, mighty miracles today. Perhaps there's someone listening right now that maybe there's a sin issue that you've been carrying. It started with something small, but it has reared its head time and time again. I just invite you to confess that to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. He loves you, and he's here for you right now to cleanse you. If there's someone listening right now that maybe you're living life without Jesus as a part of the picture, well, today maybe there's something that was said, and the Holy Spirit is inviting you into that relationship with Jesus. I want to lead you in receiving him into your life. Simply pray with me, Jesus, today I come to you broken and a sinner, and I ask for forgiveness of my sin. Please cleanse me and make me a new person, and I invite you into my life. Come and help me to live for you and for your kingdom. Thank you for this gift of grace and for being my Lord and Savior. And we lift this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we sing together, I, I do want to take a moment for anybody in here or anybody that's watching online. If you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, I want to encourage you with this resource called Now What? And this is available at our welcome desk. It's also available online with the link that you see, faithccpalmer.org forward slash now dash what. This resource is designed to help you take the next steps in your faith journey. We want to get that to you, so please make that connection with us as you grow in your walk with Christ.